How many of you had a bit of anxiety this past week? Okay, most of us, the rest of you are not telling the truth. <laughs> Probably you will have one in this next week if you didn't get to have one this past uh, week. But there are a lot of things that were going on uh, in our world, but certainly right here in our community as uh, the weather changed, we had nine degree temperatures uh, and today we have 65, I think it is now, uh, outside. And so lots of changes, lots of things, lots of uh, pipes that have broken. Uh, I noticed at my own house when the temperature hit 32 Uh, All of a sudden, I heard this strange noise, this water spewing uh, out of a pipe. And sure enough, uh, we had one that that broke, even though I tried to cover everything. As I was going outside to turn the water main off, uh, one of the pleasures of home ownership, uh, my neighbor across the street was rushing out to turn his off as well. He had his main key, and I had mine, and we just kind of uh, laughed as we looked at each other and wondered who else on the street was having broken pipes. Anxiety. It is something uh, that gets to us. It gets to us in ways that we are just never ready for. Uh, And once something happens in our lives, we begin to worry about other things, other things that could happen. Not that they ever will happen, but could happen. Uh, There is a writer, uh, social media writer and consultant, Sarah Fader, And she wrote uh, recently, uh, and she is uh, about 37, so uh, we would understand her to be quite proficient in social media. And as she was uh, writing about generalized anxiety disorder, uh, about the same time she was writing about this, she texted a friend in Oregon about an impending visit. And when a quick response failed to materialize, she posted on Twitter to her 16,000 plus followers. How many, Randy, do you have 16,000 yet? 15,400. Okay. You still have that egg picture on there. You don't have your profile updated, Randy. But uh, 16,000 plus followers, she put, I don't hear from my friend for a day. My thought, they don't want to be my friend anymore. And maybe you've experienced that if you, as you have launched yourself out there on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, whatever you're on, and no one liked your picture. No one liked what you had to say. Maybe they even wrote something uh, on your page that you didn't care for. And she uh, says, this is the reality of where we live now. And so she appended the hashtag, uh, hashtag, this is what anxiety feels like. She says, thousands of people were soon offering up their own examples under that same hashtag. Some were retweeted more than a thousand times. You might say Ms. Fader struck a nerve. If you're a human being living in 2017 and you're not anxious, she said on the phone in this interview, there's something wrong with you. If, if you are living in this world right now and you don't have some kind of anxiety, even if it's not a silly anxiety about Twitter, then something is wrong. We are living in a world and very much an environment of anxiety. As you saw in the news today or over the weekend about the uh, government shutdown 
you might have some anxiety about that. If you're a government employee, come tomorrow morning, you probably will have even more anxiety about it. And there are lots of other ways that that could affect us. We could be really worried about that. Could be really worried about going to work tomorrow for whatever reason. You could be really worried about your bank account. You could be worried about your health. All kinds of things that cause us to have fear and anxiety. The psalm that we have heard this morning addresses anxiety. It was written long ago, but it applies to us today, doesn't it? It speaks to our hearts. It it describes things that we feel and we experience. And we can look into the life of this psalmist and understand where they're coming from. We can identify with what we find here in the Scripture. So I encourage you to look again at Psalm 62. It might be one that you want to look at as you go throughout the week, not knowing what may come up, or maybe it's a good week, maybe it's a challenging week, but this psalm will be good for you. The psalmist encouraged uh, the people around him to trust in God, to trust in God at all times. And as you'll see here, Trust in Him at all times, O people. I like how it doesn't say just sometimes. Trust in in God every once in a while or uh, whenever you're feeling like things are going well for you. Trust in God, but trust in God at all times. We don't know exactly who wrote this psalm, but we have the understanding that whoever it was certainly had experienced life had had some very difficult times and recognized that that God was there in the midst of those times. And so the psalmist exhorts the people to trust in God. This would be shared in a congregation. It might be shared among a family or among a group of friends. It could be used in a lot of different ways. But it was for everybody. All people trust in God at all times. And the reasons are given why. If you'll look there, for God alone my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor, my mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Look at all of those descriptions that are there. God is my rock. The psalmist understands that God is is immovable. God cannot be pushed aside. God is this rock, this solid foundation that the psalmist could cling to when when everything is, is working against him. Also, he says, my salvation. God is my salvation. If you go back up uh, one more, Jason. Uh, God is, is my rock, my salvation, my fortress, and I shall not be shaken. My deliverance. My refuge. All of these are reasons why uh, the psalmist says you can trust in God because God has been all of these things to him. And God will be all of these things to you, is the idea. And then the psalmist mentions how to trust God. It's not just why, but how to trust in God. And it says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. I love the particular line that is given here about finding God in silence or trusting God in silence. 
And we just had a moment of silence. And I hope, even though it was so short, that there was at some point in the midst of your prayer where you recognized God's presence here with us. That you recognize that God is more than just a word. God is more than an idea. God is our rock, our salvation, our fortress. And I hope that you'll take that minute and stretch it out as you go into this next week. This is what the psalmist says. We can can trust God in silence. And we go to God in silence. There is that that, uh, time of recognizing God's reality in the midst of whatever we're going through. But also to pour out your heart. The psalmist had poured out his heart before God. That's a, a beautiful image, isn't it? No. It's kind of graphic, isn't it? Pouring out your heart. But just crying and, and bringing all of, of these issues that, that were in his life. And if it was David, you can think about all of the things going on in his life. As he is dealing with betrayal, as he's dealing with uh, enemies who are coming against him, as he's dealing with his own sanity, as he's dealing with his own children. If In fact, one, Absalom who is trying to plot against him or does plot against him and try to kill him. All of these things are going on inside of the psalmist. And the psalmist recognizes there is some value in pouring out your heart to God. And beyond that, we recognize there is something uh, here that reminds us to follow in the way of God. This is what the disciples were doing as we heard from our gospel text this morning in Mark where it's just like the one that we had last week, a little bit different in terms of the disciples who are called and Jesus describes to this group, he says, I want you to be fishers of people. I want you to go out into the world and bring people in. You've been great or maybe not so great at fishing and I want you to go and catch something other than fish. I want you to expand this kingdom of God that I've been talking about. And so they trusted God and followed Jesus. They trusted in what God was saying and doing right there in their presence uh, from the mouth and from the uh, actions, the life of Jesus. And they began to follow Jesus. They trusted Jesus. And that would be difficult to do. Just throwing everything aside and saying, okay, I'm going to follow this guy. I'm going to go wherever he goes, and uh, who knows where we're going to go, but I'm going to follow him. I'm, I'm going to trust God and follow Jesus. So as we hear from all of this, we recognize uh, there is a lot to the how of trusting God, but also uh, to the why of trusting God. I read recently that uh, this a new term called culture-romics. It's kind of hard to say. Try using it sometime this week on someone. Culturomics. Uh, Google has digitized 30 million unique books. Now, don't look at them right now. But according to the uh, author uh, and the one who came up with this word, Christian Rudder, this body of data has created a new field of quantitative cultural studies called culturomics. Its primary method is to track changes in word use through time. The long reach of the data, and it it goes back to 1800, allows an unusual look at people and what's important to them. For example, ice cream took off 
in the 1910s, right when GE introduced the powered home icebox. You've probably never called it that, right? You have, Bill? I believe it. (laughs) While the word pasta nosedived in the late 1990s when the Atkins diet became popular, right? Bread and pasta became bad words, but I hear that they're back. But culturomics also reveals what's deeply important to us, and the data shows that with each passing year, we're getting more wrapped up in just what's going on in the present. And what does it show for the word God? That word has been in steady decline for decades and is now used only about a third as much in American writing as it was in the early 1800s. The word God is disappearing. But have we noticed? And I wonder, is the word God or is God disappearing from our vocabulary? Is God disappearing uh, when we have times of need or when things are going well or at any time? Who are we trusting in? What are we trusting in? Well, the psalmist says to us, trust in God at all times. And one of those reasons is why. One of those reasons is hope. The psalmist found hope in God. I wonder, where are you finding hope today? Or maybe you're not. Maybe you're looking at this world. You're looking at our political parties. You're looking at the issues that we're dealing with, not only in our nation, in our state, but all around the world. Where's the hope? Where's the hope when we are talking about nuclear war again? Where is the hope when crime Uh, affects us, comes into our communities and affects us in in ways that are um, very personal. Where is our hope with addiction? Someone said uh, how addictive cigarette smoking is the other day, and um, I agreed with them. I'm not a cigarette smoker, but um, I understand that it is probably the most addictive um, habit of all where is the hope and where is our rock what have you found to be a rock in your life maybe at first you you decided that your rock would be financial security and then the recession hit or the stock market crashed or you uh, had a big bill and all of a sudden all of your savings everything is gone maybe you put your rock in your reputation, or maybe it's in your education, or maybe it's uh, in your family, and and you look at that and you realize that's not uh, something that I could build my life on. The only thing that I could build my life on is God. God is my rock. Have you found God to be immovable? There's a lot of stuff that will come your way that will push at you and pull at you and, and toss you aside, but what about God? Have you found God to be a stable presence in your life? What about your salvation? What about your refuge? The psalmist would tell us, here are the ways that you can trust in God. I mentioned earlier silence. It's kind of an interesting thing. How many of you have tried to do 20 minutes of silent prayer? 
Anybody? Okay, how'd that go? (laughs) It takes some practice, doesn't it? Because you begin to find out that your thoughts are racing. You you can't focus in on anything. And and certainly for someone like me with uh, ADHD and a bunch of other initials, it's very difficult for me to quiet myself enough to where I am uh, able to shift back into... uh, just maybe concentrating on my breath or concentrating on a sacred word. But it is so good for us to find places and times of silence. And as you do that, you recognize all of the junk that's in your life. You begin to find that uh, you really, your mind just uh, goes and goes and goes. And you're so distracted about so many things. And it's refreshing to take a retreat And just to be still, as the psalmist says, and know that I am God. Well, not not that I'm God, but God says, know that I am God, right? Okay. Just checking to see if y'all are still with me uh, this morning. But also by pouring out your heart. When was the last time you uh, poured out your heart to God? Maybe it was just a good cry. It just, something just hit you and you began to cry and you recognized you were at the end of your rope, you had nowhere else to go and you poured out your heart to God. Afterwards, I bet it felt really good. Maybe it was pouring out your heart to God in a journal. Some of you like to write and journal or draw pictures. And that is a great way to pour out your heart to God to say, I don't know exactly how to phrase it, but I'm just going to start writing and see what happens. And all of a sudden, you just keep writing and writing and writing. And you find that you're pouring out your heart to God. Maybe it's pouring out your heart to God through a friend. You sit down with a friend, maybe a friend right here in the church. And you, you just say, it's almost like a point of confession. I need help. I'm going through a difficult time. I don't know what else to do. I have no other resources, nothing else that I could turn to, and I just need to pour out my heart. Would you be willing to have someone pour out their heart to you? I hope so. I think so as I look around, and I hope that you'll find someone that you could pour out your heart to. Maybe it is a counselor. Maybe it's someone uh, who you could go and see for a time and and build a sense of trust and pour out your heart and help that person that person will help you get through that time. Pour out your heart. And then to follow. Jesus comes our way and says, come and follow me. So many of you have heard those words and you have followed. Maybe today you're just kind of thinking about it. You're not sure what to think about Jesus. The testimonies that we have heard here in our church speak to the fact that so many of us have walked not just with Jesus, but behind Jesus. We have been fishers of uh, other people. We have gone and told uh, the world about Jesus and tried to invite other people to come and to follow. But it comes down to what are we doing with our feet? How are we following Jesus? And if you don't trust in Jesus, then how are you going to follow? The disciples certainly had no idea where they're going. And you won't either. You might just get one step. You might just be able to see one step ahead. That's usually the way it works. 
And sometimes we have to step out in that blind faith to trust in Jesus. There's a great prayer that's in your bulletin this morning that has become known as the Thomas Merton Prayer. It is a prayer that Thomas Merton wrote, and it is so powerful. And I I don't think it is new to you. I want to read it to you, and I hope that you'll take this home uh, and you'll read it. He says, I have no idea. By the way, Thomas Merton was a Catholic monk and uh, just has an incredible story. He died uh, while he was in, in, I believe he was in Vietnam and uh, was, uh, it was an accident, electrocuted and died. But he had written so much uh, up to that time and we're still able to, uh, to learn so much from his writings. But he says, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me. And you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Let us pray.